0: Father, we do pray for an impartation of your heart for our neighbors, for our classmates, our coworkers; those that we recreate with or around. We just pray that you would not just uh, teach us to know something, but that we would actually become something more. Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So there's this guy, and it rained a whole bunch in his neighborhood. In fact, the water started rising and started flooding. Flooded so much, he had to climb out of his house onto his rooftop. And as he's on his rooftop, he began to pray for God to save him. A boat came by, and a boat offered to help him. He said, No, I've prayed to God, God's going to save me. The boat left. Another boat came by, said, Hop in. He said, No, 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 God's going to save me. It's a boat left. Finally, a helicopter comes and says, get in here. And he's like, no, I've prayed for God to save me. Helicopter left, the waters rise, he drowns. He gets to heaven and he can't wait to ask God the question, why didn't you answer my prayer and save me? And God said, I sent two boats and a helicopter. Now we know this story, we've heard it before, but here's the point. The point is God is offering his saving activity a whole lot more than people are recognizing. Now, the, the title of the message this morning is the search and save mission of Jesus. In Luke nineteen ten, Jesus says this, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. See, our God is a searching and saving God. He is on a mission. He's not aloof or indecisive or passive. He's never in maintenance mode. He's never coasting. He's never drifting. He's always sending, he's always pursuing, he's always searching, he's always saving. And the book of Acts is a story of how the early church really understood stood the words of Jesus when he said, as the father has sent me, so I send you. And so I want us to take a little kind of a look into the book of Acts this morning, because I think the book of Acts is a constant indictment against maintenance Christianity No, it's it's really kind of, every time I read it, it goads me. It goads me and encourages me and stimulates me on mission. Acts chapter 1 starts, verse 8, with a very important passage that really tells you about the whole book. In fact, fact, this passage, this one verse, actually gives us the outline of the book. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And this is exactly what happens in the book of Acts. The disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And what do they do? They begin to be these witnesses. They begin to tell other people about Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. Now, as they're doing that in the book of Acts chapter two and chapter three, it doesn't take long before we get to Acts chapter four and we have the first real obvious pushback from the enemy, from the devil and his minions in the form of intimidation and persecution. Acts chapter four, Acts chapter five, actually this persecution and this intimidation culminates in Acts chapter seven with the martyrdom of Stephen as he is preaching to the Sanhedrin. And what God does with this persecution is he actually uses it to catapult his people out of Jerusalem, even out of Judea, into Samaria, and ultimately to the uttermost parts of the world. Why? Because God is on a mission. God has taken even this persecution and using it as a launching pad for his mission So we see that when we get to Acts chapter 7, now we get to Acts chapter 8. What happens when we get to Acts chapter 8 is God moves Philip, who's having really a very successful ministry in Samaria, leading many Samaritans to Christ. God is going to move Philip to Gaza momentarily, so he can speak to this Ethiopian eunuch who's on a pilgrimage. He's obviously heard about the one true God receives worship in Jerusalem. So he makes a pilgrimage From Ethiopia to Jerusalem in search for this one true God. And as he is searching and seeking, God sees his seeking hearts and sends Philip to speak to him. And as a result of that conversation in Acts chapter 8, we have the first Gentile convert in the book of Acts. And it is a black man from Africa who then goes back to Africa with the gospel and shares the gospel in Africa. Then we get to Acts chapter 9. What happens in Acts chapter 9? Again, we see the missionary heart of God. Acts chapter 9, there is a man by the name of Saul. Saul is his Hebrew name, Saul of Tarsus. We are more familiar with his Greek name, Paul. He's actually persecuting Christians. He is, he is zealous about this persecution. In fact, he's on his way to Damascus with uh, some written uh, permission for him to be able to even continue this persecution, dragging, arresting, and even seeing Christians put to death. But he, on the way to Damascus, he encounters the risen Christ. It is a vision. It is a very real experience. And in the process of this, he is converted. He is converted to faith in Christ and he becomes the apostle Paul to the Gentiles. And his ministry will extend. He focuses on the Gentiles. It eventually extends all the way to Europe. Again, what do we see? We're seeing the missionary heart of God, the God who is, he is seeking, he is searching, he is sending, he's pursuing. That is our God. Then we get to Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. What do we see there? We see the apostle Peter is instructed by God to go to the household of Cornelius who's actually holding a bit of a gentile god-seeking prayer meeting and Peter walks into that shares the gospel and all of them are saved again this is the heart of God he is moving all the pieces he's orchestrating events and he's he's connecting people why because he is about pursuing people for them to become part of his family to get saved to come to know Christ. Then we get to Acts chapter 12. What happens in Acts chapter 12? Well we see that Herod, evil Herod, is trying to oppose the Christian faith. So what does God do? Well God Herod had Peter arrested after he had James killed. And God first has Peter supernaturally released what for? For the mission. But then he actually he actually takes Herod out and he kills Herod because of Herod's in the way of what God is trying to do. So that's Acts chapter 12. Again, we're seeing this missionary heart of God. God is not in maintenance mode. God is not cruising. God is active. He is pursuing. He is orchestrating. He is on a mission. And we get to Acts chapter 13, and we see it again. We see God's unrelenting commitment to the mission. What does he do in Acts chapter 13? In Acts chapter 13, we see that by the Holy Spirit, Paul and Barnabas are propelled out of Antioch to the lost pagan pagan world of Cyprus and eventually beyond. What I want to do is I want to go ahead and just kind of hone in for a moment into Acts chapter 13 because I want us to see how God is orchestrating things. Because what God is going to do is, is he's going to, we're going to see in Acts chapter 13, we're going to see through the whole book of Acts that this <clears throat> search and save mission is not the work of a man. It is the work of God. God is the one that is catapulting people out of Jerusalem to get the job done. God is the one who's overcoming opposition, whether it's a Herod or we're going to see an Elymas, He's going to overcome opposition to get his job done. God is the one who is speaking. He's the one who's empowering. He's the one who's searching. He's the one seeking, pursuing, saving. Again, our God is a missionary God. And his people, the more we line up with his heart, the more we are a missionary people, all of us, not just some of us. So let's delve a little into Acts chapter thirteen and see how God goes about this seek and save mission. Let's just pick it up in verse one, Acts thirteen one. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas of Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, a Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. First of all, I just want you to notice, I think it's worth pointing out the diverse leadership team of this church. Barnabas, we know from Acts chapter 4, verse 36, was a Levite from Cyprus. We know Simeon here, that's his Hebrew name, was called Niger. The word literally means black. He is black African, and just conceivably none other than Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross of Jesus and must have become a believer. We do know his sons were believers. Alexander and Rufus were known in the Christian community, church in Rome. Mark chapter 15, verse 21, Romans chapter 16, verse 13, his sons are mentioned. The third leader here is Lucius of Cyrene, definitely from North Africa. Fourth, there is Manian, who is called in the Greek, the Centrophus, or the foster brother, or close friend of Herod Antipas. The fifth leader was Saul, the apostle Paul, who of course came from Tarsus. So these five men make up the leadership team of the church in Antioch. Verse two, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So it says while they were ministering to the Lord, some translations say while they were worshiping the Lord. That really carries the idea of what was happening in verse 2. Now, this worship meeting probably involved more than those five, but this was a worship gathering. That's what they're doing. They came to seek God's face. This was not a committee meeting to send someone to the mission field. It was a worship meeting. Their goal was to seek the face of God. And as they drew near to the face of God, God let what, what's on his heart get on their hearts. And what was on his heart was what? It was to seek and save mission. So that's why the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart from me, Paul and Barnabas, because that's what was on the heart of God, this mission. By the way, it's, I think it's important to point out too, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Now we're not told in this passage how the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Maybe through one of the prophets, maybe through a vision, maybe through still small voice. But the point is the Holy Spirit spoke to them specifically about what he wanted them to do to send out Paul and Barnabas on this mission. And I I think it's important for us to keep realizing that, that we need that same kind of guidance today. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to us. The church needs the Holy Spirit to speak, to let us know what he wants us to do. And that's what he did here. They needed his guidance, even with the apostles still around. And we we need his guidance as well. So he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. I want you to notice the call was clear. But the land and the people they were to go to was not clear. So their response was really a response that was going to require faith. And it was going to be an adventure. By the way, it's important, I think, for us to realize, too, that we don't have to have it all figured out before we take our first step. God can be calling us and not give us all the information right away. He typically does not do that. He'll give us enough information to begin to move. And uh, we, need to, we need to move, and he will, he will lead us as we go. That's what he did with them. That's what he still does today. Verse 3. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So now they fast and pray some more about this word they received from the Holy Spirit. And I, I think part of that was more confirmation, laying their hands on them, trusting the Holy Spirit is going to lead them and guide them. Again, I, as we look at this, this, there's so much that's helpful in this passage on how to do missions. There's no evidence that, Paul, that Barnabas and Saul volunteered for missionary service. They were sent by the Holy Spirit through the church. And still today, I believe it's the responsibility of every local church like us and the leaders of that local church to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying and to discover whom he is calling and whom he is gifting. And that we need to be cooperating with him and sending. And those of you that have been part of, Our church for very long are seeing that that's constantly what uh, we are about. Because why? Because that's what God is about. We're just being caught up in the missionary heart of God. So God has made it clear to us as a church now uh, for many years. uh, It was 35 years ago this November, coming in November, that Tracy and I first had our first uh, meeting that would become Grace Community Church. But it's been our heart from the very beginning that we would be a missionary church because we knew our God was a missionary God. And our focus has been from the very beginning, the unreached peoples of the world. Those who've never even had the opportunity, unengaged, unreached, they've never had the opportunity to hear the truth of Jesus. That's been the focus of our church. And so we've we've adopted some very difficult places, some difficult uh, people groups, and uh, facing some difficult challenges that required a lot of intercessory prayer. Prayer is crucial in this mission. You've got to keep in mind that the devil and his minions, the powers of darkness, have held some people in captivity, POWs, prisons of war, for thousands of years. Thousands of years. And if we think we're going to waltz in there and see them set free without a fight, then we are fooling ourselves. It's going to require intercessory prayer, and it's going to require an intensity in it. When we first started realizing this as a church early on. God put on our heart a region of the world in the Himalayas, and there was a people group there that we, we discovered had three missionaries in a row tried to enter into that people group and learn the language and begin to translate the gospel in their language. And the three missionaries in a row all died very young deaths because of a very difficult area and tremendous spiritual warfare. We found out this, and we decided that we were going to adopt that people group. We were going to go for it. We're going to find out who's in line to to translate the the word of God into their heart language. We're going to find out who they are, and we want to begin to pray for them, and we want to pray this thing through. That was something we decided to do, and we took it very seriously. We began to intercede and pray. But one of the things we wanted to do as we prayed, we wanted to find out what is the name of the person or couple that is going to take up this work that three missionaries in a row have died in their 30s as they tried to do it. Who's taking up that work? We want to find out their names. We want to partner with them. We want to pray it through. And so at at that point, we began to to inquire. Uh, Don began to... Uh, interact on the phone with uh, Wycliffe International. They, at first, they wouldn't tell us the name of the couple uh, because they didn't really know us at that time, didn't trust us. Eventually, we kept on asking. We persisted. And it was a Sunday. It was a Monday that I walked through the office. And, and as I walked through the office, they gave me, the office gave me a, 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 a stack of people who had visited this Sunday before. There was about seven or eight visitor cards, and I had them in my hand. But as I got on my hand, I just went straight down and talked to Don and said, let's see if we can get Wycliffe back on the phone and see if they'll tell us the name of this couple. So Don gets them on the phone, and as he's talking to them and trying to find out what their names are, uh, I'm looking at the, the cards of those who visited church the day before. As I'm looking at the cards, finally they tell Don the name, and I said, well, where are they on Earth? On planet Earth, where are they? And I'm flipping through the cards I said, never mind, they were here yesterday in church. (laughs) And so we began to pray for them, and as a result of that, after 20 years of their hard work and much intercessory prayer and many spiritual victories, Steve and Gene stood up on this platform and held up the New Testament in that people group language (laughs) that is now being used by them in their churches. I tell you that story simply to tell you that it was God who was orchestrating all these things. It was God who had a heart to reach those people. We got caught up in it. That's all. We got caught up in it. So did Stephen and Gene. We got caught up in God's missionary heart. So I want, to see, I want you to see more about how God does this in Acts 13. Let's start in verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John, that's John Mark, as their helper. When they'd gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the magician for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, you who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now, when Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, when they get to Paphos on Cyprus, something happens that gives us another forceful demonstration of God's missionary heart, that his missionary heart will not be frustrated and his mission will not be stopped. Now in Paphos, Sergius Paulus, he's the governor or proconsul. He He wants to hear the word of God. It says in verse seven, he was a man of intelligence. He summoned Barnabas and Saul, sought to hear the word of God. Now this is amazing when you think about this. He is the ruler of Cyprus. And these missionaries... I mean, they are nobodies in the Roman world. They have no human authority. They have no political standing in Cyprus. They are unknowns. But they're called by God, sent by God. And now God, against all odds, is going to get them a hearing with the most powerful man on the island of Cyprus, the governor. I mean, and and he's also done some kind of work in Paulus. Paulus is interested in wanting to hear the word of God. So God, I mean, through this worship and fasting, he calls these nobodies from Antioch and makes this connection. Again, I just want you to see God orchestrating all this because he's a missionary God. He wants the mission done so much more than we do. Sometimes I think we're trying to convince God to become a missionary God. Get more involved when he is the one who is giving us even the desire to pray the things we pray. He's orchestrating it all. He is moving the pieces, and he's using nobodies from nowhere to get it done. And I was thinking about that just yesterday. It reminded me of in 2004, I was invited to Uganda to some special prayer meetings that were taking place. They were all-night prayer meetings. They were in the soccer stadiums of Uganda, and I was invited to come and 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 even speak possibly. It wasn't really clear if I was going to speak or not at a church or whatever. I just came, and and at one of the soccer stadiums, they told me there's a hundred thousand people at the soccer stadium. They then tell they tells me then that I'm about to preach, and I'm I'm going to preach before the president of the country comes out and addresses the whole country. It's going to be on. It was going to be. It was going to be televised. It was going to be televised to all the meetings and all the different soccer stadiums. And so I am not, I'm, I'm, as I'm doing this, I'm preaching the gospel to 100,000 people before the president of the country comes out. And I'm thinking, I am nobody from nowhere. See, that's, that's my point. I want, to get, I want you guys to understand. It's not about personalities. It's not about who. It's not about reputations. It's all about God just orchestrating things. And every once in a while, we find ourselves caught up in it. God is doing it all. He's the missionary God. He's the one searching and seeking and orchestrating, intersecting. Now, in Acts chapter 13, that's what Paul and Barnabas, they find themselves. They're they're, they're with Paulus. And as they're speaking the word of God to him, what happens? Well, Elymas gets in the way. And it's interesting because his name, translated, means son of salvation. And Paul actually Calls him rather the son of the devil. And so, what is, so he tries to get in the way of salvation for, uh, the, for Paulus, the governor. And what happens is the Holy Spirit comes upon Paul, and Paul, discerning the spiritual warfare, moves into action. And by the way, spiritual warfare is a given. Don't be surprised when it happens. Anytime God is using to speak to somebody. Don't be surprised that there's some opposition there might be some distraction that there is, the enemy does not want the gospel to go forward. So expect spiritual warfare, but don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. Be in prayer. Have other people praying for you. Be in the word, walk in purity. And remember this, big God, little devil. Let me say that again. Big God, little devil, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And so when you discern spiritual warfare, go to prayer, overcome it, and keep on going, which is what they did in this case. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Paul. What does he do? Verse 10 of Acts chapter 13, he says, you who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now there's a phrase here I want to point out. When he says, make crooked the straight ways paths of the Lord. That's an important That's an important phrase. Making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. That's what the devil wants to do. What are the straight paths of the Lord and how do you make them crooked? Well, I think we can answer that question once we realize that in verse 8, this, the Greek word that's translated turn away, and in verse 10, the Greek word translated make crooked is the same a Greek word. It is diestrephal. Stre, di and I want to just read these verses and I'll show you the word. Acts thirteen eight. but Elymas, the magician was opposing them, seeking to turn away the proconsul from the faith. There's that word. Acts thirteen ten. but Saul said, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked? There's that word, make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. So turn away in verse 8 is the same as make crooked in verse 10. And from the faith in verse 8 corresponds with the straight paths of the Lord in verse 10. So the way that that the enemy tries to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord is to somehow try to get in the way of people coming to faith. Now, two wonderful things come out of this. One is to see this, that God does have straight paths that lead to him. He has straight paths. In fact, that's exactly what we have going on in Acts 13. I wanted you to see this. He sees Sergius Paulus there in Cyprus. And 275 miles away, there's a prayer meeting going on in Antioch. And God sees a straight path. He's going to call some from that prayer meeting. He's going to lead them all the way to Cyprus. And then he's going to set up a meeting with Paulos so they can hear the gospel and believe. And so that is the straight path of the Lord. Now, what the devil wants to do is he wants to get in the way of that. He wants to somehow get in the way. So he uses Elymas trying to make that path crooked or turn it away. I think a perfect example, of this is a, my older brother, Mark. I shared a gospel with him for 20 years before he became a believer, but it wasn't through me. In fact, we were on a plane to our grandfather's funeral in Chicago, and he was, on, he was sitting by the window, and I was in the middle. I thought, I got him now. I got two-and-a-half-hour plane flight to talk to him about Jesus. And As I'm talking to him about Jesus, he finally looked at me, and he was, actually, he was a boxer at the Air Force Academy. He had a fist, and he said, he said, if you talk to me about Jesus one more time. So I was quiet the rest of the plane flight. And, as I, and I kept praying for him, praying for him, and, and then I would talk to him, you know, every, every time we had holidays, we'd go to our folks' house and we'd see each other. And he'd tell me about his business. And, he, and as I'm praying for him, I said, well, tell me about your business. He said, I have a new business partner. He said, funny thing, he's a part-time Baptist preacher. I said, that is funny. And so a couple of years later, I'm, I'm talking to him again. And he, I said, so how's the business? He said, I have a third business partner. Funny thing, he's also a part-time Baptist preacher. I said, You're surrounded. And what ends up happening is one time I go, I, we, we go back there for a holiday and we're going to a golf course to play uh, golf. And he's telling me, as, he's, as we he's driving, he's telling me how wonderful Jesus is in his life. And I'm thinking, who are you and where's my brother? <laughs> but what happened is God had a straight path and it didn't involve me. He got other people he was using uh, to to win my brother to himself. So God has a path. He wants Paulus to come to know him. So he's got a path, but Elimas gets in the way. He gets in the way, but God is going to not just overcome him getting in the way. God is going to use that to actually end up leading Paulus to faith. I want to tell you one more story and we're going to close here. And this is a story of the Kickapoo Indians in Mexico. Many years ago, we had a team down there with the Kickapoo Indians and the the chief of the tribe was 92 years old. And we wanted to show the Jesus movie to the whole tribe. Now, the only problem was that the the of the tribe was deaf, and so we, we so we're praying, Lord. We're going to show the Jesus movie, and he can't hear. He has to be able to hear. So we laid hands on him, and all of a sudden he looked at us and said, "I can hear." So we we play the Jesus movie. He prays to receive Christ at ninety-two. We get, ended up having a good relationship with his son, who is the next chief. His son told me that his house was my house, Mikasa Sukasa. And uh, but, but eventually, the, the grandson becomes chief, and he is, he's not interested in spiritual things. In fact, he's in prison right now for murder. And you can't get back into the Kickapoo area without an invitation. So we need an invitation, Lord. How are we going to get an invitation if we're going to get back into the Kickapoo? Well, just last week, I want you to see what happened. Run that video from Will.
1: I want to tell you a really cool story about something recently where we saw the hand of God orchestrating what he wanted to happen. I was able to go down to Mexico a few weeks back with a college and young adult, great trip. And we went to a a settlement called Nacimiento de los Negros. And we did ministry there. And just about three minutes north or down the road from there is is the reservation land of the Kickapoo Indian tribe. And so one of our uh, students or one of our young people, they painted murals on the walls of the church with verses that the senior pastor had asked for. And so the night before Sunday, I was asked to preach and I I wasn't really ready. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to preach on the murals. And so long story short, we ended with just uh, looking at a mural that was facing the Kickapoo Indian tribe. And on it, it said how beautiful it is when brothers and sisters dwell in the house of the Lord. And so we ended with a time of just praying that God would open doors for the Kickapoo tribe to come to know him. Uh, Later that day, we went to town, did some swimming, went to the store. And I'm standing in line at the store. I've got a tattoo on my arm. And in perfect English, the man behind me asked about my tattoo. And so we talked. Uh, and then he asked me where I was from. I said, Dallas. I said, where are you from? He says, well, I'm Kickapoo Indian. And, and, and you can imagine a little tingling going on. And so I said, wow, you know, I've always wanted to see up there, never been there. And he said, well, why don't you come on up? He said, uh, just, just drive into the reservation, go past security. And you drive to the end of the road. I live there. You'll see me. And, and so I, I grabbed Jonathan Anderson, and we prayed about it. And, and we drove up. We didn't see a soul. We were a little nervous. And and sure enough, we get to the end of the road at the foot of the mountain, and and the man comes walking out, this man of peace. And so we got to sit down for about an hour and a half. We talked about hunting. We talked about uh, their language, their religion, their beliefs. And and finally, I felt like the time was right, and I said, hey, we are a church, and so one of the things our senior pastor has taught us to do is serve in evangelism. And we're not trying to change you. We're not trying to start a church. We want to come in and show the love of Jesus. Is there anything we could do? And he said... Well, you know, the elders have been wanting a playground for the kids. And again, I get this tingly feeling because Joe Ward and his team with Jose, they've been building playgrounds in Mexico forever. And so we began to talk about what would it look like for Grace Community Church to go down and build a playground. And this man actually runs the the maintenance division. So he's got backhoes and concrete mixers and everything we need. And he basically said, hey, you come back down here on a weekend and and bring us a proposal and we'll talk to the elders. And, um, And it was just such an exciting time because in the morning... We prayed for the Kickaboo tribe, and literally within an hour, we ran into a man, and it wasn't random. It was God orchestrating, and it wasn't just any man. It was a leader. It was someone with the equipment to help us do a playground, and we actually had something to offer them. And so I'm just excited to consider, you know, what God will do, but I'm also excited to have seen the hand of God directing events towards his will.
0: Praise God. But again, I just want you to see that God is the one who's doing all these things. He's the one who is pursuing. He's the one seeking. He's the one searching. He's the one calling. He's the one orchestrating. He's the one intersecting. Why? Because he is a missionary God. And I think we need to have that perspective because next week we're starting our Be a Blessing series where we all want to see how God can use each one of us. And if we believe it's all up to us, I think we're going to be hesitant to want to be involved. But when we realize realize that, wait a second, God is doing this and he wants to include us, it's a whole different perspective. It becomes a great adventure. And so plan on being part of our, you know, Be a Blessing series starts next week. We still need more hosts. If you're willing to host, walk across and speak to Jonathan. You can get everything you need to be part of it. Uh, in, In one of our small groups, we want you not just to come Sundays, but be in a small group and really learn how we can apply all these things. Because we are here to be a blessing. And our God is a missionary God, and we are a missionary people. Let's stand for closing prayer. Again, just remember, our God is not in maintenance mode. He's not drifting. He's not coasting. He's pursuing, seeking, saving. Before I close in prayer, I just want to say this. If you're new here, my wife, Trace, and I would love to meet you over here in this welcome area. Also, we have Connection Corner back here. You can ask any questions to our staff. If you need prayer, we have some people here pray for you. And don't forget today is Grace Cafe. So go across and have lunch with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for including us in this greatest undertaking in the universe, being involved in what is most on your heart and that is reaching lost people. Would you anoint us and use us? Would you make us more and more, Lord, the kind of people that are easy to use? And we pray you to speed up the fulfillment of the Great Commission that we might behold your return, Jesus, in our lifetime. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day, great week.